0: Welcome to Geeks and Jocks Podcast. Welcome back to Geeks and Jocks. This is Ryan Sullivan. Hope your listeners are getting comfortable in these late parts of 2020. Kind of cold up here in New York a little bit. You know, A little bit of wind here and there. Some strong ones in some parts of the state. So, before I get into this episode, the podcast is on anchor.fm I can also be found on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and Breaker. So, made it to episode 50. I mean, I I knew at some point I would make it to 50 episodes. I didn't think I would make it this this far as far as, you know, getting to 50 episodes. Because when I first started the recording a couple of years ago uh, I, I went with an idea of like two every two weeks do an episode and you know I, I've kind of bended it a little bit to where you know it's like try and do episodes every week now or try to if, if I feel like there's enough material to keep going every week you know I'll keep doing it so yeah. Um definitely want to get into this episode, definitely talk you know, a fair share of movies. Talk about some movies that have turned thirty, thirty five years old. Talk about the Aquaman petition that's been going on lately and why it's garnered a lot of attention over the last week. Talk about some of my favorite football games and talk about some NFL scores and MLB awards. So, let's get into it and let's kick it off with with probably one of the most beloved holiday classics and from one of the biggest movies uh, to to start the 90s, Home Alone. So, Home Alone released in mid-November 1990 written by John Hughes starring you know Macaulay Culkin Joe Pesci Daniel Stern you know the movie is 8 year old Kevin McAllister played by Culkin who kind of is a bit of a bratty kid in the first 10-15 minutes of film you know has issues with his family and wishes in his mind for him to all disappear and the family forgets about him as they go on a flight to Paris and he's on his own, you know, he likes it but then, you know, realizes how much he misses his family and likes them, but must defend his home from the wet bandits, Harry and Marv, played by Pesci and Stern. They're robbing the neighborhood and they're doing whatever they want to do. And they set their eyes on the McAllister household and it's up to Kevin to save the save his home and make mincemeat of the, of them, <laughs> at least that's, was the description on the TV for, um, the, they say, make mincemeat out of the two burglars in the house, <laughs> but yeah, the biggest movie domestically of 1990, and it was a big blockbuster, the fact that this movie, uh, was number one from its debut up until early 91 uh, early February of 91 says something. I mean it, I, I think what helped the movie is that it it wasn't something geared towards adults. It didn't feel like a it, it didn't feel like a fantasy driven film, even though you got a lot of slapstick involved late in the film that was very much like the Three Stooges. It was like watching the wily e. Coyote if he was successful. Um, it wasn't like a stupid film geared towards kids. I mean, and stuff that adults could could like without feeling like they're going to get bored. And uh, kids that will definitely enjoy a lot of, you know, the idea of a kid being alone. And maybe, especially in the beginning of the film, like enjoy the free fall of being being on their own and doing like eating whatever they can watching whatever they want and I mean that's why the tagline for the movie was a family comedy without the family (laughs) yeah I I think what helps is there's, there's there's a lot of heartfelt moments it doesn't but it's not sappy you know it's not and I think that's one of the great things about Hughes and that's considering that my favorite movie of his is, is another holiday film from a few years prior to the, to Home Alone, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Like, like there's some... like That one at least had its share of like, emotional stuff, and you're laughing your butt off, and you hear about some of the stuff involving uh, John Candy's character in Planes, Trains, like... And realizing, you know what, uh, you know, you can have your funny stuff, but you can also show the human element of of these characters. And you know, that's I think that's the thing about Hughes' movies is like they the characters feel real. And even with even with the slapstick stuff in *Home Alone*, the characters at times do feel real. You know, you feel something genuine out of it you know i think the biggest scene i could think of is is a church scene with kevin talking to his neighbor who he was scared of at first and then you know he, with the scene in the church they it ch- he changes his mind and you know it's a nice guy you know it, he has his own personal issues and it's like you know what? I mean, everyone has their issues, but during the holiday season, you know, it's like redemption, forgiveness. I'm, I mean, I know I'm talking too much regarding uh, just a simple comedy, but still, I mean, it has its moments of heartfelt stuff, and the the soundtrack and the score. I mean, it it really adds something. You know, I th- and that's something I think that is truly missed for movies now these days is the fact that you have yeah you, know, you have these old movies and you know just these scores and with what John Williams was able to do with the movie you know it it was whimsical it was it it knew when to have its music ready for funny moments it knew when to have the the emotional parts and of course the christmas songs as well i mean i mean the only time i ever really heard, like, Run Run Rudolph from Chuck Berry has been from that movie, and, like, anytime you hear that song, you're thinking the scene where all the McAllisters are running to the airport. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's like, and actually I was reading a little bit of, uh, of an article that was just posted recently of, uh, from Insider.com regarding, uh, director Chris Columbus, and it's interesting, it's an interesting story about some of the stuff that involved with the production of the film, you know, like, like how he he was involved in another Hughes movie, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, and this is actually a story that I remember hearing about uh, five years ago, actually, I think like one of Hughes's kids talked about it, about how Columbus was gonna do Christmas vacation, and you know, a lot of people talk about you know the issues of working with Chevy Chase, and that's been notable in tons of projects. And like the most recent one I could think of was when the show Community was on. So apply that from tw- to twenty years earlier, and. I think Columbus worked on it a little bit here and there, but working with Chevy Chase was a nightmare. Uh, but Hughes believed in him and gave him the script to Home Alone. And, you know, what? the rest is history. There was some other stuff, like, like... Like, the fact that they were stunned that Joe Pesci was interested in the film, and, and the fact that they couldn't afford Daniel Stern. <laughs> you would think Pesci would be the... the Harder guy to get considering his resume at the time, but not Stern. <laughs> but you know what I mean. It helped elevate their careers quite a bit. I mean, Pesci got to do other types of comedies, and that's not to say these got the Wet Bandits had 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 bad careers prior to doing this doing the film. But you know what I mean. You know, it showed that Pesci was capable of doing more than just R-rated films. And, you know what? It gave Stern some great publicity and, you know, continued to do his share of comedies. And some, there was, like, one or two other things. I like talking about, like, the second movie a little bit. I think just a tiny bit. And talking about the uh, one that's supposed to be getting made soon from uh, Disney+. Plus. And it was actually a good read and. Obviously, like I said, the sequels. Uh, you have the second one, which I, you know, I think is a good one. Uh, the third one, I would say hit or miss. I wouldn't say it's terrible, but I would think it's it's one of Hughes's weakest movies. I would say his worst is probably European National Lampoon's European Vacation. Although I think he quit on that movie, if I remember correctly. I don't think he had full involvement in that one. Um, there was the fourth one, which I don't think anyone was pleased with that, or anyone that, that caught wind of it. You know, We're disappointed at the, the, the direction that that movie went. I think it was supposed to come out in theaters, but then it became like a TV film. And then you have the fifth one, which was, I think, direct-to-video as well. And, there was, and the one that's supposed to be getting made is part of one of the things with uh, Disney trying to revive uh, uh, some projects that, some franchises that Fox had when they bought Fox. And Columbus saying it's a waste of time and, you know, being like it was lightning in a bottle and you know what Columbus is right because you know some of these movies it's like it's like ghostbusters for example it's like it was lightning in a bottle like it was a movie that nobody expected to be that huge i think the closest one that i could think of that you know i think it would do well but i don't think anyone expected the numbers to be much higher the closest thing i could think of is that is the Disney film Frozen like the Disney had been doing CGI films for a long time and they were starting to get back to doing more of their own original uh, CGI films within like the last 8 years at that time and they were starting to become well received and but they weren't making huge money they were doing okay but their budgets were, like, really expensive, and to compare that with Home Alone, I mean, Home Alone had, they said, like, an $18 million budget, and some of the stuff, and then that's pretty cheap altogether, and there was some stuff they couldn't do. I think they couldn't do something like the furnace being animated, and I think, like, the BB gun shot, they had, like, a BB gun shot that was, that they had to animate, for a brief second I mean I'm sure that was probably expensive to do but regardless uh, but back to the Disney stuff uh, comparison like those movies weren't making mega huge profits Home Alone made I think like just domestically you know uh, over 15 times it's original budget and I'm sure Frozen probably had some pretty good numbers, probably like eight nine times the number, but it probably stunned a lot of people because even into like early 2014 there were still advertisements for the movie being in theaters. I think that was like that was like the big home alone type thing you know everyone was in on it you know it, but like I said probably didn't make as big a profit compared to in terms of movie make movie revenue. So, yeah, Home Alone, top-grossing film domestically of 1990. I don't think any comedy has come close. Any live-action comedy, to be exact, has come close. Uh, I think the closest was The Hangover. I think it missed it by, like, 8 nine million. You know, I... You know, Home Alone, great movie. Uh, just one of the great holiday classics, and this was something I thought about a little bit, and this goes into other holiday movies as well. Because of, uh, a while ago, Apple TV being exclusive with um, the peanut shorts. I wonder how angry people would be if something like Home Alone was not on there, or a A Christmas Story, or... Hell, it's a wonderful life. You know, it just... Yeah, You lose that kind of stuff to digital. I think digital will be something people will be into at some point. I'm not sure it's going to be all digital very soon. But who knows? I mean, it could be the way we view TV, especially with cable not being as prevalent as it used to be. So I don't know. I mean, it would suck, though, if you saw all these... Holiday specials, you know, especially, you know, stuff that a new generation hasn't grown up on yet. But I'll tell you one movie I don't think a lot of people will grow up on, and that's um, some of these Rocky films, especially with uh, the fifth one. But actually, talk about the fourth one a little bit as well because that movie turns 35. Uh, by the way a recording November uh, 17th 2020 early hours of it uh, Rocky four I think like in a little over a week turns 35 Rocky 5 just turned 30 so if you were to ask me one of my favorite movies of the uh, 70s Rocky would be up there I mean a fantastic script from Sylvester Stallone who plays the title character Rocky Balboa you know a guy who is a local Philadelphia boxer and does small fights here and there is uh, basically a goon for a uh, loan shark but he does have heart you know he, you know he finds you know he, he finds you know beauty in a pet shop worker Adrian you know she, he's friendly to people. He tries to teach people lessons, especially to some kids who might think that smoking and all that's cool. But he gets his chance against um, heavyweight champion Apollo Creed. Apollo looking for an opponent and thinks giving a local Philadelphia person a chance at the the title. Be some good publicity for a New Year's Day fight. For Rocky, it's not just a it's not about winning the fight it's just about standing toe-to-toe and showing that he is somebody and that and that no matter what he he showed the world that he could handle the greatest boxer in the world it's just yeah that with the score, the the rigorous training and everything all together, the strengths and weaknesses to Rocky, and it just makes for one of the best pictures of the seventies. Then you have a sequel which doesn't have the same kind of magic, but it's still a really good movie. You know where you st- you see the you know you continue to see the ups and downs to Rocky, and and still trying to be humble. But this time, get his chance to fight, his second chance to fight Apollo. And then you go to three and four, which you know you could say probably did start a bit of a decline for for the Rocky films, because with, with Rocky three, it it was still a drama, but it was more, uh, I would say, over the top to an extent, especially with its villain, uh, with its Boxer that Rocky had to face Clubber Lang. Now Apollo in the first two films uh, you know, is more of a calm type of guy. He's not really a bad guy per se, but he's not someone that you would personally look at as a true villain. This was where it became kind of like a uh, like the '80s were filled with like cliched villains and all that like ridiculous villains. <laughs> And I would say Clubber is one of them. He's like a big mouth guy. Do whatever he can to protect his... His title. And... Just the taunting and everything, all that. A more powerful boxer. I mean, nothing wrong with having a powerful... Opponent that beat you up. But it... You had more... More... Action type stuff. Like the wrestling for charity scene with Hulk Hogan... And then you get to all this other stuff. I mean there was still some drama. It was still a good film. And by the way, I like three and four, but you can see the difference. And you it was much more noticeable in Rocky Four, which basically felt like a one sided note, which if I'll bring up for a m I'll get to in a minute or so, but basically it's Rocky facing a Soviet tested boxer. Ivan Drago, and he has one of the most devastating punches, and it can deliver quite a bit of damage that in, if in real life, um, could probably kill someone. And that's the basis for Rocky wanting revenge after Apollo wants to do an exhibition fight, and, and he gets just get clobbered to death by, by Drago to where he, he, he loses his life you know with that with that kind of devastating power and I think it kind of also parlays into I think one of the issues I think boxing had at that point where you there were boxers that were still dying in the early 80s you know some question whether or not the 15 rounds would be a th- would still be a good thing or not that's why it's down to 12 I think since what like the mid to late 80s I think and it, and and drago was kind of the opposite of uh, of clubber you know he's more of a silent type of guy he lets his punching his boxing do the talk you know the let the let his trainers and all that he let his wife you know talk and just in the controversy over taking steroids and all that i'm sure that's been a i'm sure that's a prevalent issue today for sports you know, all, you know whether it's stuff like doping and all that or having stuff like legal substances. Uh, it's a problem of all parts of the world and that's uh, the way Stallone probably presented it like it, it was during the time of towards the end of the Cold War and you it, know it basically felt like a one-sided note which now I'll get to it. it the way Creed 2 handled things, I think Creed 2 handled things a lot better than Rocky IV even with Stallone writing part of the movie so with Creed 2 it was a movie I went into when I saw it opening day the first screening of it and my impression was going to be is it going to be like the first Creed because it Creed, Creed felt like a drama it felt like a real drama and would it go that route, or would it go the Rocky Four route? And I'm glad it didn't go towards that route in being a cheesy type of film. It was, it was very gritty. It was still dramatic, and it they they gave substance to Ivan Drago. You know, who's looking for redemption himself, following his loss to Rocky long ago. You know, he wants. He wants his son, Victor, to just do whatever he can to get attention and get his chance at fighting everyone and fighting um, Adonis. And I think that's probably what turned people off. It just lacked... Rocky IV, I'm talking about. It just lacked the charm of what what the first two movies had. And it it was different in... In a decent way, but critics were not pleased with the film at all. It it was getting a point where it's like, "eh, this is this is not the Rocky we know and love." And I mean, it, it's a product of the '80s. And I don't know what else you can really say about it. That I mean, I like it, but it's not high on my list of best Rocky films or best movies in the Rocky and Creed franchise and obviously Stallone looked at it looked at and it was his biggest movie I think at the time if it wasn't that it was what First Blood Part 2 I think I mean he had a pretty good 1985 but after that he kind of fell off the wagon a little bit in terms of successful movies like I don't think Cobra was a hit. Um, Over the top, I don't think did well. Rambo three underperformed, and that had a really expensive budget in '88. Like it, like it was at one point the most expensive film until later that summer. Roger Rabbit came out with like a like seventy million. Yeah, I think Rambo three was like sixty five million. But then you get to like, Tango and Cash in '89, and then Rocky V. And Rocky V... I think... If he went a different direct, If he went with the different approach to his ideas... I think it would have been... Better loved, I think. But I like the idea... Of... Going back to your roots a little bit. I think... I think it's a good idea on paper. So basically the plot of the movie is that Rocky no longer has money due to issues, I think like financial issues from his accountant, and he can't box anymore because of having brain damage, forcing to retire again. That was like a recurring theme. It seemed like every movie he thought about retiring or was retired and he came back to box. But this time it's for real, and it's just having issues with making ends meet with with his wife Adrian and his his son uh, Robert, played by in that movie um, Stallone's real life son Sage. I think it just tries to showcase you know what happens when when you're back to being just on your own with nothing to your to your name, except for stuff that you did in the past, and I think it—it's it, it, not a bad thing. Like trying to trying to make peace with your with your kid, and trying to trying to fix that relationship altogether together, you know, and trying to do whatever you can to, like I said, to make ends make ends meet. And it just seems like nothing ever works. And that was like an issue with Rocky too that was an issue that was shown in Rocky 2 it's like the only thing he can really do is box and doing these commercials he couldn't do like he tried jobs throughout the second movie and they do it in a way that that still felt humble but wasn't but wasn't like but wasn't feeling like you like it was always like bad luck bad luck bad luck and even like in some of the, some of the jobs he had, he had to be let go because not having having like the least seniority. But with Rocky Five, I mean, it's just, it just seemed like they tried to juggle a, a lot of things, you know, with the f- the family issues and trying to you know do stuff following his boxing and following his retirement from boxing and just trying to. Just, just survive, and you know he gets to train uh, this up and comer boxer Tommy Gunn, played by the real-life boxer uh, Tommy Morrison. And you know it, it. I like the idea of it, and then he gets there's. It's almost like a betrayal type thing with um, this with a promoter that that Tommy likes, and later on you see the it it, st- it gets. Really bad blooded, to where Tommy fights Rocky in the streets. I think just all that it just didn't feel like it it, it. it just there's a reason why this movie isn't isn't beloved. You know, it like it tried so hard to try to be similar to the first, but go in a different angle. And there was a there was a website I saw that they, there was like an, there was like a different ending to the film where Rocky was supposed to die but I think if audiences saw that I don't think they would have liked it and the I think like the studio at the time I think it was United Artists I think they did not like that either. I don't think any like I, said, I don't think any, a second ago I don't think anyone would have liked seeing Rocky die or at least die in a fight. And even that was like, there was like issues with like Rocky Four. Now that I I forgot about that, Like I I don't think Carl Weathers, who played Apollo Creed, really liked filming his match against Drago. I think Stallone, if I remember Stallone, got hit hard at some point, to where he had like, Two hundred beats per minute on his heart, and they had to. I mean, I think he had to like, go to the hospital. Like, like Dolph Lundgren, who played uh, Dra- Drago, almost killed Stallone. But anyway, um, with, with five, I. Don't, it just feels like it's a it's a mess altogether. It, it loses. The sense of what made the first two movies beloved classics and did okay altogether worldwide not a huge hit in uh, domestically and you know for for a long time people you know people thought man, that it was over but then in the early 2000s you hear of Stallone maybe bringing back Rocky and doing... Rocky Balboa in 06. And that movie, you know, it was able to do family issues, but end on a decent note with Rocky doing an exhibition match against uh, Mason Line Dixon, played by real boxer Antonio Tarver, I think his name was. I feel like that was his name. It's been a been a long time since I've seen Rocky Balboa as well, and, you know, just trying to, you know, just lead life a little bit, you know, lead a normal life, and do all this other stuff, and maybe just, maybe do some local boxing to, you know, show that he still had it, and just, it was, it was better at handling the drama a lot better, it wasn't, it didn't get ridiculous like in Rocky 5 and that's why it's you know it it revived Rocky as a whole and you know the Creed movies I mean they they feel like they are like the first two Rockies in Balboa in a way maybe a little more grittier and maybe a, a little more a little more a little more physical and dangerous with the with the boxing aspects of it I guess so, I mean, I mean, that's some pretty good pretty good anniversaries for some of these movies, you know, Home Alone and Rocky 4 and 5, I mean. You know, I always think the November, December is like one of the best times to release a movie in theaters. I always feel like it's a safer chance compared to compared to movies that come out in the summer. Now, there's this petition going on, moving on, actually. So, this was a petition that came about, I think, a couple years ago. And it, it has to do with Aquaman. And it's blown up a lot more over the last week or two, primarily because of one of its actors. So, so DC Comics has been trying to go after the huge success of Marvel especially with a lot of the movies that have been made over the last 12 years. Now, I'm not a comic book movie guy. I'm not. But I think this story is interesting in itself because Aquaman, which came out a couple years ago, was one of the big successes for uh, Warner Brothers. It It was that movie. It was, I think... It was that and Wonder Woman where they were well-regarded and enjoyed a lot of success. And there were some other ones, I think like Suicide Squad and uh, what was it, Batman vs. Superman. They did, And Justice League. They did well, but they weren't... They were like panned. If I remember correctly. And, you know, decent-sized casts all together. And the big focus is on the character Mira. Played by Amber Heard. And this is a name that probably will sound familiar. Um, It's just, it's such a... I don't know how long it goes, but it's just... Her issues with actor Johnny Depp, her ex-husband, Johnny Depp, it just just seems like that was just a toxic relationship on both sides. And There's allegedly stuff about her physically abusing Depp and just verbally and some stuff about, like, about, like, like, punching him in the face. I think there was, like, audio recordings that were found with her talking about beating up Depp, and I wouldn't be surprised if Depp beat her up at some point, too. Uh, Recently, there was a UK newspaper, The Sun, I think it's called. And they put out an article uh, about Depp being a wife-beater. I wouldn't be surprised if he did. I'm not saying saying he's completely a victim, but he's not an innocent person from the sounds of it. And he lost his libel suit to that UK paper, and he has been forced to... He was asked to resign from... uh, Fantastic Beasts 3, which was a movie that generated controversy a few years ago because of him being in it. And I heard being in the uh, Aquaman movie and the sequel that's supposed to be filming at some point next year if things do go back to normal at some point and the movie's supposed to come out around Christmas 2022. And a couple of years ago there was a petition made and it's still going on change.org to remove her from the movie. And it has it's blown up over the last, last couple of weeks to the point where it's close to 1.5 million. I think at the time of this it's almost at 1.4 but I wouldn't be surprised that by the end of the week it's over 1.5 or 1.6 million. I think I think it, it it's one of those things I think it's probably there probably is some of it because of Depp's fans, I think who think that there should be equal justice for her to be removed and all that and I mean even she's aware of it and Think and saying that it's all uh, paid campaign and that it that these uh, petitioners have no basis in reality. And, and, and... Now, it's it's interesting, because it just seems like it's, it's going to be one of the big movies, but I don't think Heard understands the issues regarding domestic violence. It's a serious issue. And this psycho bitch doesn't grasp that she could be held accounted for, because if if her if the alleged stuff is true and especially with that recording about punching him in the face i mean that's that's not a good image and unfortunately she hides behind stuff like me too and all that, and she's able to manipulate stuff from the media to to make to make them sympathize for her and all that and i mean that's got to be like a slap in the face to the real victims because because it you know i i I can't imagine how much of a psychological emotional and mental issue it is for for ones that do suffer from it and you know the some of them may not recover from it at all you know why it's hard probably to you know have you know like a meaningful relationship and all that and yeah, I think it just also represents. I think the double standards of of Hollywood at times. You know, it's like, oh, if a man does it, we gotta make sure he's he's guilty all around. And you know, oh, for the women, uh, let's. Um, I don't believe that. I think people are hesitant to immediately point the finger at women. At least some of these famous women. I'm not saying all women would do it, but it's just it's just friggin' disgusting. Disgusting altogether that you have to put on an act. And some of the stuff in this uh, change.org thing, and this person that that created it, uh, Jeannie Larson, um, you know, lots of updates, and, you know, bringing up stuff about, I think there was some stuff regarding, I think, uh, Herd's past, that, about, like, abusing other people that she was in relationships with and stuff I guess I don't know I wouldn't take some of these updates by heart supposedly stuff about uh, being in cahoots with other people and this bunch of faking injuries I don't know I don't know I mean lying under oath lying you know in front of a jury and all that. I mean it it makes you look bad and you could face potential I would say jail time for something as serious as domestic violence, which has been a big hot button topic for a long time now and going back to stuff like Ray Rice for example. I mean this I mean especially for stuff that was that's high profile by the by the way. It's and the thing is if if none of it is true or anything like that there's nothing Warner Brothers can do there's nothing that can be done because she signed a contract and if they break the contract i'm sure she could have the capability of suing warner brothers for for negligent work or for for termination or wrongful wrongful termination I think I'm not a lawyer by the way so I I don't know what the legalities would be but I think she would have a case against Warner Brothers uh, but I could see but I could see the backlash coming to the point where nobody sees the movie I mean I think it'll it will do okay but I think the amount of people you anger especially for something as serious as this I mean it it's gonna be one of those things down the road. I mean, even though she's not the main main character, I mean, you could see Aquaman being a potential box office bomb. Uh, it's just it's disgusting altogether, and that's about all I can really talk about with with movies. So how about we get into sports and some good stuff? gotta say, I'm impressed with what MLB has done with their uh, MVPs and uh, Cy Young winners. they pretty good. Gotta give them credit. The Cleveland Indians, uh, Shane Bieber, fantastic season. Unanimous pick, rightfully so. And the guy went like 8-1, and like 120 strikeouts, 70 innings. The guy did it all. I mean what else can you ask for i mean this is a guy that definitely will be one of the big bright spots for for cleveland i just wonder if they'll be able to have him for such a long time because it just seems like a number of their players that are really good pitchers i mean they they, they have their inconsistencies here and there you know hopefully they still keep him he still finds his groove you know over the next three, four years or so, or whatever. And, you know what, they... Maybe they rebuild, and they find a way to get back to the World Series for the first time since 2016. Ho- you hope they do. And then on the other side, Trevor Bauer. Now, I think what helps in his favor a little bit is the fact that he... that he had a couple complete games and shutouts altogether. 5-4, uh, and four, it's not the greatest record... Altogether, it could be better, but the pitch—I think it was like over seventy innings as well, hundred strikeouts—and but the fact that actually, I forgot about the ERA. So with uh, Bieber, Shane Bieber, he had um, what was it, one point one point six ERA, I believe. And I think uh, what was it? Uh, Bauer had uh, 1.73. I mean, that's 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 extremely good. You know, I'm sure the you know, the question would have been on like if Jacob Degrom would have gotten his third uh, straight Cy Young, and you know, it just I mean, some of the numbers were a little comparable, but higher ERA probably didn't help, and just the fact that the Mets. Didn't look really sharp at all throughout the year. I mean, what can you do? MVP. I mean, can't complain really. I mean, I mean, my preference would have been to have DJ LeMahieu do it because of being a Yankee fan. But you know what, Jose Abreu. I mean, he's one of the great players for the uh, Chicago White Sox. I mean, he had like 76 hits, which I think was the most during this 60-game season. Nineteen home runs. Uh, the guy, the guy did it all. I mean, the fact that Chicago also made it to their first uh, playoff appearance in twelve years says something. And actually, uh, for man, it's some of the stuff I keep forgetting with some of these guys. Bauer. Bauer had a really good game won in the Reds' uh, first playoff game against uh, Atlanta. But, uh, yeah, back to you. I mean, good stuff. I mean, worthy of the MVP. And Freddie Freeman in the NL for the Atlanta Braves. I mean, I mean, his story, I think, will be talked about for a long time. The fact that he was battling COVID-19. The fact that his temperature was 104.5 degrees. And he wondered if he would even play the season at all. Or maybe opt out like a number of players. 340 average, I think it was. Uh, 13 home runs, 51 RBIs, played all 60 games. I think the average is what really helped. Uh, what really helped him. So, you know, I, I think it was. These were good picks. Really good picks altogether. Where baseball goes in 2021, your guess is as good as mine. And there's actually some NBA talk going on right now with some of these players. Uh, I think the big one that's coming is, uh, James Harden, not wanting to be with the Houston Rockets, rejecting a 50, I think it was like 50 plus million a year. I think it was like two years to play for Houston. And he's thinking about going to, uh, Brooklyn. He wants to be traded to Brooklyn. Reunite with Kevin Durant, who he was with his first three, four years. When uh, Oklahoma was slowly becoming the hot team. In fact, his last games were in that NBA Finals that Oklahoma had against uh, Miami. Uh, this is, maybe this is just the whole team dynamic or superstar stuff that might still be prevalent to some of these uh, to some of these uh, players, I mean, it, I mean, on paper it could be good, but it could have the potential to be a uh, disaster, quite frankly. But even that, it's like fifty million a year. It, isn't that a little? Isn't that a little ridiculous, though? I mean, I think he's getting paid close to forty million. He's getting, he's getting paid. Pretty good money altogether, and I wanna i don't even know why. Maybe it's just a way to lock him up for a couple more years. I guess, especially considering also that the NBA lost quite a bit of money, so salary caps are going to be pretty tight. I think for the next year or two. I don't know, but wherever he goes, I mean, he's going—he's going to go somewhere especially if you reject something of that big of an offer usually some of these guys just take the money and and continue on <laughs> and, yeah so moving on to the uh, NFL definitely some interesting stuff this week considering that you had Tennessee lose to the Indianapolis Colts Colts showcasing how great of a defense they have, especially with that special teams play of uh, blocking a punt for a touchdown. Probably one of the best in the league, but definitely some issues, I think, will come to play with uh, with Phillip Rivers altogether, uh, if he can stay consistent. If that run game can be a good threat altogether with that Naeem Hines guy and if that rookie Jonathan Taylor uh, can work together you know it could be a dominant team I mean it's going to be tight whoever wins I mean right now it's you got at least two in the east capable of being in the playoffs you got three in the north but potentially to be playoff teams two in the uh, two in the south and two in the west Buffalo man I don't know what you can really say I mean they didn't really run the ball that great and just gave up some big plays especially with that Hail Mary that uh, Kyler Murray threw to uh, DeAndre Hopkins which is just crazy to believe I mean Arizona is for real I mean, they're running the ball really well right now with Kenyon Drake. Chase Edmonds is a good alternative at times. Hopkins has really shaped uh, Murray's second year. And, and Murray's been good at running the ball as well. I mean, this guy, if he keeps playing, I mean, all pro, I could see him being uh, the, the big all-pro player. MVP? Might be too early to judge, but he definitely could be an early candidate I, I think he could be the early candidate uh ben roethlisberger i think a little bit could be in that running mahomes maybe dalvin cook a tiny bit i don't know or heck maybe what, like tj Watt. you never know <laughs> um Buffalo losing that I mean that's a big blow especially with uh, especially with uh, Miami half a game behind them now in their big win against the uh, L.A. Chargers I mean they had a, they ran the ball really well the two guys throwing touchdowns defense you know showing up at the right time I mean they've won like five in a row I think it's the first time in a long time the teams. Relevant, And that says something, considering they've only made the playoffs twice since 2002. It was like 08, where I believe they won the, the division. And, uh, what was it, 2016? They had like a 10-win season. And that was when I think Tannehill got hurt. And they their guys just... Some of them played well, some of them didn't. I think... It, it, the defense just whatever Brian Flores is doing, it, he needs to keep it going that way. And for the Chargers, well, another big loss for Justin Herbert, and probably for a lot of people, it's probably for a lot of Charger fans. It's gonna, it probably will feel like deja vu with some of these quarterbacks they've had for a long time. That you know, it's like great talent. But they can't go anywhere because the team is that mediocre. If their run game was just healthier, I feel like it would be a great potent offense. And I don't know what the deal is with the defense. I thought that was like Anthony Lynn's specialty, the defense. And nowhere to be seen. New England gets a big win against the uh, Baltimore Ravens, but time is time is definitely running out for this team, especially if they were to get a chance at at a wild card spot. And it's going to be even tougher with the fact that Miami is playing lights out good football, you know, over the last month. Cleveland with their big win against. Uh, Against Houston in a low-scoring effort, I mean that—that that says something. They're still third place, though, against uh, in the North. Uh, even though I believe they share the same record as Baltimore, they're like six and three each, I believe. Uh, Cleveland still has a big hurdle due to losing to both Pittsburgh and Baltimore in the season of course, you have Cincinnati getting blown out by Pittsburgh. What else is new? Roethlisberger playing, playing really, really well. I mean, 17th year in the league and, you know, he's playing as if he didn't miss last year. I mean, the Chase Cleep, pool guy, I mean, nine touchdowns total for the year. I mean, that's some good rookie numbers there. It's just the James Conner playing a little better. He'll have his off day here and there, but still a good, good player altogether. And obviously the defense lights out good. I mean, the fact that they were able to pick off Burrow a couple times, I believe, says a lot. Jets were off this week, and I don't think anyone wants to see the Jets be good at all. And I could see them drafting Trevor Lawrence. No way. (laughs) Who else? Uh, Jacksonville. they, they, They came close, but they lost to Green Bay, and that'll definitely be a big question mark for the Packers. Even though they won, they didn't exactly look sharp altogether. Defense not looking good. The run game... Aaron Jones not having a big game altogether. I don't even think he scored a touchdown either. That says something, by the way, about the team a little bit. I mean, still, I mean, still a good team, but is it is, I've said it, is it the same type of team where it's like they do well to impress people only to lose it in the playoffs? I mean, they haven't been to the Super Bowl in almost 10 years, so that says something. I mean, they're they're running the ball decently, and the defense, outside of the uh, 17 points in the second quarter, I think it was, played pretty well. How about the Raiders? The fact that they're actually in the hunt for a wild-card spot, I mean, that says something. I mean, they they ran the ball really well with Josh Jacobs and Devontae Booker had a pretty good game altogether. Defense picking off Drew Locke three times. I mean, they're, they're, I mean, it, you want to say this is a team that's going to go to the playoffs, but they're right around the same spot where they were last year, doing pretty well until the second half. Now, 7-9 is not a great record, but definitely an improvement over what, where they were uh, in 2018. This should be a better team than what they were last year. Three times was the charm for John Gruden in 2000, where they made it as far as the uh, championship series, championship game against Baltimore, only to lose to them. The eventual Super Bowl winning champion Ravens, but they still have a tough hill to climb. Like I said, I mean, I mean, you got some wild card contenders in Baltimore, Cleveland, Miami, and Tennessee. I mean, that, I mean, that's that's pretty good altogether. Like, like I said, like nine teams out of sixteen, more than half. That's that's something to be amazed by. Now, if I'm Green Bay, I'm kind of being pleased that Chicago is losing and the uh, rest of the uh, NFC North is either 500 or just below it. So it gives them a little bit of an advantage. Now, what the heck is going on with Chicago? Just an ineffective offense. I mean that's been a problem for a long time for Chicago. Yeah, you know, and it's just the passing is terrible, and the running game masks it quite a bit. Actually, there was no run game at all against Minnesota. No run game at all. <laughs> Doesn't help that you don't have David Montgomery. No shocker. I think it was a concussion protocol. It just it, how I thought this it's like, I've said it a few times already in the last couple of weeks it's just the defense can only do so much I mean, I hate to re- repeat that all the time but what can the defense do Nick Foles had like a really bad game like really really bad I mean Kirk Cousins didn't exactly look sharp either but Couple touchdowns thrown to Adam Thielen, Dalvin Cook, a lot of touches, not many yards, but still reasonable, I would think. Uh, what was Minnesota? I think they're now four and five. I want to look at that. Four and five. So, right now, it's just a matter of who winds up being bottom tier trash in the North. Detroit, 4-5, and five. big win against uh, Washington, almost blew it, but the fact that Matt Prater was able to kick some pretty good field goals, some lengthy ones, I mean, that's why he's one of the best in football, and that's why his, his leg has been phenomenal, you know, whether it was with Denver or with Detroit the last, was like, six, seven years now? DeAndre Swift had a pretty good game altogether. Stafford played well. What more can you ask for? Playing a little better compared to where they were last year. I think a healthy Stafford does make a difference and just the running game clicking a little more now. And the the other receivers making their impact including Marvin Jones. I think Marvin Hall as well. Both of them had touchdowns. I mean Right now, Green Bay's leading the way and I'm not sure if one of these teams in the north is going to uh get a chance at a wild card spot. Hard to tell. I think it I think the bigger question is which NFC East team is going to host a playoff game with a losing record. Dallas didn't play at all, but a big win for New York. Is that a win? Yes, it is. And it is a win against Philadelphia. And I think starting to pick up at the right time with a couple wins in a row now in a team that isn't Washington. Just the fact that Daniel Jones has played clean football lately. The defense. The defense actually has played a lot better than you think. The record record may be bad, but they they the defense has been pretty good at holding teams all together from scoring. There's been a couple I would say hiccups I think like, the big hiccup was against uh, what was it uh, San Francisco I think and that's a team I'll definitely be talking about a little bit because the way they've been playing just all their health issues it's amazing that they're even like at that threshold of 500 or below. So, New York 12th scoring defense. That says a lot. And I think they've actually been pretty good at preventing uh, teams from getting into the end zone. They go like they're eighth in uh, passing defense with touchdowns, and they've given up the seventh least amount of uh, rushing yards. So, that's pretty good altogether for New York. I mean, it's just you know Wayne Gallman being a touchdown maker right now and just making the right plays at the right time. I mean for Philadelphia, when will the fans turn on Doug Peterson? Even if you win a Super Bowl, you're not—you can't always please Philadelphia fans. And there's some questions into the play of Carson Wentz, and definitely he's had a mediocre year altogether. Nothing compared to where he was three years ago, where he was on his way to having a basically lights-out, phenomenal performance in the season before his injury. The health issues sure haven't been good. Maybe just the fact they don't really have anybody at wide receiver or tight end I mean, you don't have Zach Ertz. Obviously, some big hits to Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson. And defense not really being there altogether. And just, I guess, from what it said, like slow performances early on. Too little, too late most of the time. Just a question on who wins the division. That tie that they had against Cincinnati could make the difference. But. Depending on the strength of their schedule, I know New York has some pretty rough games. I know they, they face Cleveland and uh, they they face Seattle and Arizona. They're going to give up some big yards for sure, and they're definitely going to have a tough going against Baltimore, stopping uh, stopping uh, Lamar Jackson. And honestly, he that team should be much better than. Than where they are with their loss to New England, they should be much better than this. I'll tell your team that that should be much better than you. Think. Carolina, it's like they come close to winning games and uh, lose to the Chiefs tight game, but maybe there's some flaws to uh, some flaws to, uh, to Kansas City as far as their defense goes. I mean, still some good capabilities. Oh. Uh, that was last week. Never mind. Who did Carolina play? My apologies on that. Who did... Who did Carolina play? Tampa, I think, right? Yeah, they got beaten the crap out of by Tampa. And Tampa having a pretty good redemption game after being blanketed by uh, New Orleans. The big run by Ronald Jones definitely sealed the deal a little bit. I mean, Brady having a great game altogether. The defense picking... Picking off Teddy Bridgewater, I think he got hurt late in the game. Uh, I don't know who I don't know who gets the opportunity to uh, win win the division, but it's going to be tough for the New Orleans Saints considering uh, issues with uh, Drew Brees' chest and a lung issue in their win against San Francisco. Alvin Kamara having another big game altogether. Three touchdowns, uh, two rushing, one receiving. Jameis Winston is going to have to show that he can do better than where where he was with uh, Tampa. He has to actually show the Saints that there's a reason why they have him as a backup so that he can show that he's far from finished. Maybe a test as well to see if any team will sign him. But, who knows? I mean, I mean, the big problem is definitely the receiving game. They just haven't been as strong as they were over the course of Breeze's tenure with New Orleans. And the defense, you know what? I mean, they, they do some stuff here and there. They just got to keep being consistent on a weekly basis it's just shocking that uh yeah you know, it's that san francisco is where they are right now with their record too many injuries i mean nothing else they can really do for this year but the big surprise is definitely uh seattle what the heck is going on They were like the hottest team a month ago. Now they've struggled lately. This loss to the Rams is definitely a big thing. And the the run game was pretty good altogether for uh, the Rams. And the defense picking off off Wilson a couple times. I don't know what's going on. That defense for Seattle is just dreadfully bad. They can beat you in many ways. And while they are capable of being a scoring team, it reminds me a little bit of that 2011 Packers team. You know, just... It's only except with the offense not being as strong. And even with Wilson being a great quarterback. You know, it's not the same level as what Rodgers had with, uh, with Green Bay in 2011. So I think the MVP talks... Probably is silenced a little bit for uh, for Wilson. Still playing well, all the overall stats, but man, I don't know what to tell you. So I think it's like a three way tie for uh, first place. I believe Arizona is first, and the Rams are second. So right now, those three look likely to be teams that are going to be in the playoffs. I think. I think Tampa and uh, New Orleans will be definitely the favorites. I mean, Atlanta, I mean, they've they been doing a little better. And hopefully with the bye week, you know, they, they feel energized to play next week. I mean, who is their team? that they're facing this upcoming week. Well, it's going to be tough against New Orleans. I mean, they almost blew it last week against Denver. But 3-6, and six, eh, not really a chance to get back. So, I don't know. See what happens. I mean, I don't know what you can really say with the NFC East. I mean, it's going to come down to... The the last few weeks of the season I think I, I, I question with following this bye week if Dallas will have anything to prove for the next month and a half will it be a wise choice to start Andy Dalton is that defense that banged up enough to where teams can keep finding ways to beat them so I don't know. I I feel like the advantage right now is the Giants to win the to win the division, but it's it's still tough altogether. Uh, Green Bay just seems like they'll be the favorite to win the division, so you can rock mark, mark them down as a playoff team. New Orleans and Tampa. I mean, it seems like Tampa could win the division, especially if the injuries are. Pretty severe for for Brees, and he misses uh, some big time. And I, just, I I I just feel like you could see Arizona, the Rams, and Seattle in the playoffs all together. I could see it. I mean, those big those big divisional games. I mean, they come critical late in the season. That's about it for for foot for NFL. So and a little bit on uh, on video games and talk about some of my favorite uh, football games. Yeah, there aren't too many, and I have a soft spot for I think like 16-bit football. So I'll definitely talk about some of the games on like Sega Genesis and uh, PlayStation for some of my favorites. Uh, and I'll begin with. Uh, Joe Montana football. So, only in the last 10 years I've played this game, and I've greatly enjoyed it because it just it, it's fast-paced. It you can do a lot of plays, you know, you do some trickery, you know, do some pitches to to run the ball, throw do throw some play action, pick some pick blitz plays. Everything it's just. They just felt really good altogether. Uh, Probably my favorite football game is Madden 92 on Genesis. And it just feels like it it plays really well. I like the fact that I can run the ball and have a lot of success with it. The passing feels really strong. You can play defense and figure out the plays altogether. Definitely a lot of fun to be had with it. I like the playoff system I like I like a lot of things about it, it just, especially with that ambulance that runs over players <laughs> the players don't even get out of the way <laughs> yeah um, other stuff I actually played Madden 93 recently uh, not one of my absolute favorites but definitely is a must play. As well, because it uh, the running still feels pretty good, and you you adapt to the opponent's AI, and it, it works so effectively. And the defense, you know, you gotta be you gotta you gotta play it well against against the offense. You gotta read what kind of play you think they're going to do, and it's kind of easy once you figure out what kind of run they're going to. You switch to a player immediately, and then bam. Tackle them for like a one yard gain or like a three yard loss. Hard to sack them though. That's all I'll say. NFL Football 94 on Genesis. Definitely one of my favorites that I've played over the last 12 years. I like, I mean, as far as like the Joe Montana series goes, they're not bad games. It's just, I like the Sports Talk feature, it's a great idea. But the gameplay, it definitely got better a little bit with NFL 93. But 94, like the running felt really good. The The, the passing game was a huge improvement. I felt like I could make a lot of progress with throwing the ball. Uh, the programming can be a little sloppy when you're facing the opponents, but it's usually on those like deep ball plays that occur. I mean, the ability to play as both teams and players, really, really fun to be had. Actually, one title I forgot about, actually just now, the original uh, Tecmo Super Bowl on NES, I think it's, I think it's an overrated game, but it's an excellent game at the same time as well, because it plays really well, it's plays fast paced you got all the you got the players and teams all together you know you can just pretty much run a few specific plays and you're off to the end zone i'm sure the challenge is there against a human player but still a lot of fun to be had uh, the only negative i really have is the difficulty for the season mode and i think it's disappointing that as the season goes on, it gets more harder. And another Tecmo game, NBA Basketball. I like that it was a different developer and they didn't like cheapen the experience by having it become more harder as the season goes on. Bad move there by Tecmo for a Tecmo Super Bowl. Still an excellent game, though. This one's not exactly uh, one of my all-time favorites, but NFL Quarterback Club 96. What I love about it is that there's a uh, simulation mode and you have stuff historic with some stuff that occurred where you alter specific parts of games via quarterback club 96 and games where it's set in the future. (laughs) Uh, But you beat them, you start unlocking cheat codes. Like 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 fumbling and like explosions and just sort of slippery field. It just all it's just ridiculous. You, know, you didn't see any other games do this, and you know I mean it, it's not the greatest game in the world, but it but it's just fun to see this. Um... Not much else really for Genesis. PlayStation, I mean, there aren't many. This is where I usually kind of start to kind of lose interest a little bit with uh, favorite football games. Um, NFL Game Day 97, I mean, it, it can be a little hard to get into, but definitely a game I, I play a lot of. You know, especially with running the ball. Uh, it's it's a little difficult with the defense, but once you get get into a rhythm with it, you get used to it, and you're able to pick off people and use the right players to tackle tackle the ball carrier. And I mean, Once you get comfortable, it, it's a fun game. Same thing with 98 as well, though you can run the ball, I feel like, a little better in that one. And the passing, eh, maybe a little worse than 97, but... It's not like it's a complete failure altogether. Uh, NFL Extreme, I, I like. I don't. I'm not the biggest fan of arcade type sports games, but this is one of the few examples where I actually like it. I like it, and I like it better than NFL Blitz. I uh, just it. It just feels like I like the arcade approach. I think the Sony's arcade approach was better than what NFL Blitz had just my thought maybe at some point I'll talk about some of my favorite games of all time or maybe some of my favorite games of all time from specific systems probably probably do it next week uh, as we wrap this episode up definitely we'll talk uh, console buyer's guide for 2020 as we approach Thanksgiving next week Maybe one or two other things with sports. Maybe some other small things here and there. So, once again, uh, Geeks and Jocks is on uh, Anchor.fm, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and Breaker. 50 episodes. 50th episode. This is Ryan Sullivan. Hope to hear you listeners on the next podcast. Stay safe. Protect yourself.